right, I'd like to start this morning um, with a riddle. Um, it's out of the Our Daily Bread devotional. Um, it was actually from this week. Um, and the riddle is this. We're going to try to put it on the screen. Um, what is greater than God, more evil than Satan, the poor have it, the rich need it, and if you eat it, you will die. I'll repeat it again. What is greater than God, more evil than Satan, the poor have it, the rich need it, and if you eat it, you will die. Does anyone have any ideas? Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Um, so you might wonder if this has any significance to what we're talking or if I'm just trying to... Oh, it's nothing. That's... Sorry. I heard some people say it, but I didn't... Nothing is the answer. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, I found several threads um, in this riddle attaching to our verse in Scripture for today. Um, the verse we're looking at is um, Matthew 5, 6, which in the New Living Translation reads, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. So what does the riddle have anything to do um, with anything? Um, I wanted to address three points of justice and righteousness that I, I found outlined in the riddle. Um, first, that nothing is greater than God, and he is the ultimate just judge who sets the standard for the righteousness we're seeking. And we are going to be going into more depth on these points, so you don't have to feel like you have to scribble in your bulletin. <laughs> um, and second, um, most often in Scripture, when justice is given hands and feet, so to speak, it fleshes out in caring for the poor who have nothing, the oppressed and the abandoned. And third, discovering in our real lives what it looks like um, to have a deep hunger and thirst for justice in our community and our culture and the wider world. So first, I think it's important to look closely at these words of Jesus. When we read our Bibles today in English, um, the Beatitudes, and like all of Scripture, have been translated from their original language. And so we don't often think about, um, we don't think about it, but different versions um, do vary in their translation and interpretation. For example, um, in most translations, including um, the New International Version, the word righteousness is used in this verse instead of justice. <clears throat> this is not um, the only case there's also other times in the um, NIV. In fact, the word righteousness occurs almost 90 times more than the word justice. Um, and there are also other paraphrases of the Bible, like the message, um, which read even more differently. The message version of uh, Matthew 5, 6 says, You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. So I wondered if there was much difference between these two words. Um, I believe the word justice is used more in our culture today than righteousness, and therefore probably has more personal um, meetings that we give it. Um, some are far from the actual intended meaning of the word. Um, for example, the wor um, to the world, judging by an initial Google search that I did for the word justice, um, the first results that came up was it's a, a tween girls clothing store, a very popular one apparently, um, and the primary federal criminal investigation and enforcement agency, and 
Justice is discussed in countless headlines in the news. Um, those were the top results when I searched for it. Um, and according to Wikipedia, justice in its broadest context includes both the attainment of that which is just and the philosophical discussion of that which is just. And the concept of justice is based on numerous fields and many differing viewpoints and perspectives, including the concepts of moral correctness based on law, equity, ethics, rationality, religion, and fairness. I would say this definition is mostly accurate, um, but I think justice is best uh, defined by God's perfect standard. In my research, I came across um, a picture in a study Bible that was helpful to me in explaining justice in relation uh, to God and fairness. So I'm not sure. It's kind of light on the screen there. But if you can see the lines uh, around the boxes, they are important. Uh, the first depiction shows God as separate and bound by the overarching uh, law of fairness. The second shows more realistically that God is not limited by a certain law of behavior, but in fact that justice comes from within God. It is established by him and through him. Um, Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of righteousness is this, uh, morally good, following religious or moral laws caused by something that you believe is not morally right or fair, free from guilt or sin. And then if we look even deeper into the biblical meaning and literal translation, going back to the Greek, we find the word dikaios, meaning, in a broad sense, the state of him who is as he ought to be. Integrity, virtue, purity, rightness, correctness of thinking, and in a narrower sense, the virtue um, which gives each his due, so getting what you deserve. Um, and then looking at the very, very root is the word dekenyo, meaning to show by words or teach, to expose to the eyes. So then we can conclude that when Jesus talks about justice and righteousness, he probably means God blesses those who have a deep pining to expose injustice and show integrity, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling and acting, and give each his due. In a recent conference, um, leaders of the Gospel Coalition participated in a panel discussion on biblical foundations of seeking justice in a sinful world. I thought author and pastor John Piper offered some very helpful words on this topic. He says, The person in the universe who has rights is God. Justice is acting in a way so that God gets his rights. God acts in accordance with his rights. You might ask, what are God's rights? Any behavior that accords with the infinite value of God is a right behavior. Ultimate rightness is behavior, thoughts, feelings that are conformed to the infinite value of God. And this defends well um, my first takeaway point for today, um, that nothing is greater than God. And he is the ultimate just judge who sets the standard for righteousness. There are numerous psalms that proclaim God's justice and fairness. Psalm 9 in particular is a, a strong declaration. It says, um, The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. 
The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers he does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. I do think we need to keep something very clear as we talk about seeking justice. Um, We need to remember that unlike God, we are very limited in our own perspectives. Um, So sometimes our ideas of what justice would mean um, differ drastically from someone else's who may have come from a different background or um, different race or economic status. And this creates a pretty significant blind spot for us uh, in terms of seeking fairness. This is where justice and righteousness become not a destination um, or end goal, but instead a journey of pleading to our Heavenly Father to first have mercy on us um, and align our hearts and minds with his. And then, and only then, can we seek true justice. The kind of divine justice that holds us accountable, too, remembering that we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard and what we really deserve is death. Realizing that, as Ann Voskamp writes, you don't have your life because you worked harder than anyone can imagine. You have your life because, because God gave greater gifts than you could ever imagine, and you are saved by his grace, and everything you have in the universe is by his grace. Recognizing that God has dealt so graciously with us by pouring his wrath out on his son for the sake of redemptive justice. This is what stirs us into deep hunger and thirst to honor and glorify that incredible, generous gift. John Piper uh, explains further, the gospel unleashes in the world a commitment not to live for justice, but to live for more than justice. Justice is a minimalist lifestyle. God in the gospel doesn't treat us with justice. He treats us better than justice. We don't get justice in the gospel, but God does. We get grace. We should walk through life asking not, how can I be just, but rather, how can I be loving and gracious? We start at justice and go far beyond because that's how Christ loves us. Christ will be known in the culture, not when we treat people how they deserve to be treated, but when we treat them better than they deserve. So we treat others better than they deserve when we give to those who can't give back. No, we don't do this flippantly because we know that there is a great cost that was paid for our freedom. And we don't swoop in with a savior complex and try to fix people and then leave. We understand that we are always being discipled ourselves and that we need to be intentional about the journey of discipling with others. Dr. Martin Luther King once said, Justice is love correcting everything that revolts against love. Justice is love correcting everything that revolts against love. That takes work and longevity. Um, This leads to the second point. Uh, When justice is given hands and feet, it fleshes out in caring for the poor, the oppressed, and abandoned. Over and over, especially in the Old Testament, Showing compassion for the poor is tied with justice. 
I think a major reason for this is because each and every person is made in the image of God and therefore has innate dignity and value. But in our world, there are those that who, by no fault of their own, just because of where they were born or when they were born, um, they need restorative justice to speak and act on their behalf. All through Isaiah, we read of God's justice and how to do justice. I'll just give a few examples. Um, Isaiah 1:17: Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Isaiah 30:18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And Matthew 12, 18 uh, through 21 is actually speaking back to the prophecies in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 42 it says, Here is my servant who I, am cho- who I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory, in his name the nations will put their hope. Then in Matthew twenty-three twenty-three, Jesus reprimands the Pharisees for too easily overlooking justice. Um, 20, Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected to the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. But if we're honest, we too can overlook justice and caring for the poor pretty quickly, too, especially if we don't see it every day or don't personally know people who are literally, literally struggling to put food on the table, or if we don't know any widows or orphans or those who are caught in sexual slavery. It's true, sometimes we just don't know about issues or we're not close enough. Another pastor on the panel of the Gospel Coalition has some challenging words for us. He said, The proximity argument is limited, Because if we fall too easily on this, the it's-not-happening-in-my-backyard argument, we tend to fall too easily into complacency and indifference. There are things we ought to know about. There are things we ought to be engaging if we are, in fact, going to bear credible witness in our culture. So then, in conclusion, how do we, in our real lives, um, have a deep hunger for justice in our community, culture, and world. In his commentary of the Beatitudes, David Guzik brings out the meaning and application of hunger and thirst as it relates to desiring justice and righteousness. He says this passion is natural, just like hunger and thirst are natural in a healthy person. This passion is intense, just like hunger and thirst can be. This passion is a driving force just like hunger and thirst can drive a man. So what is driving you? Is it the expectations of others? Is it a feeling of needing to strive and work and produce for God? Maybe it's your family that drives you, sometimes in positive ways, sometimes negative. I know for me it's usually a combination of all these things. 
But let's not forget that Jesus calls us blessed when we're driven by a deep hunger and thirst, a longing for his righteousness and justice. I'll invite the worship team up for a closing song. Um,